we're finally having the conversation at a high enough level with important enough people, that I think maybe something can change. And I think companies and arts organizations and otherwise are starting to see that they need people who look like you and who look like me at the table. Welcome to Arts Engines. I am your host, Aaron Dworkin. And today our guest is Mark Williams, who serves as the Chief Artistic Officer for the Cleveland Orchestra. Mark, welcome to the show. Hi, it's great to be here. So it's so great that you're here. And I, you know, always let our, our viewers kind of, you know, read the full bios on, on all of our guests. Um, but I also like to kind of give them a window into what positions are really like. Um, and I am sure that there are some of our viewers who think, okay, the chief artistic officer, okay, I know the, the maestro, I know the conductor, I, 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 I understand what they do at the orchestra. What does the chief artistic officer do? What does your daily life look like at the Cleveland Orchestra? I'm assuming that you're talking about my daily life when there is not a pandemic going on. So. <laughs> I <laughs> should have clarified. And, and maybe said both, what was your life four months ago and what does it look like today? Four months ago, I went to an office every day and I traveled a lot and uh, it, it was pretty great actually as I think, think back on it. Uh, but to answer your question seriously, as a chief artistic officer, my primary responsibility is obviously for all of our artists. Uh, we have a, a bit of an unusual structure at the Cleveland Orchestra, and that grew out of um, uh, some restructuring and really, um, as I think we, we frequently have to do in, in the arts, uh, building the job to the people. So this job was really built around me. So I'm responsible for um, all of the artistic planning. So that's really deciding uh, with the music director what goes on stage with whom and when. Um, I'm responsible for overseeing the orchestra, so those are all of our, our local, very fabulous, high quality, but nevertheless local artists that we employ, the, the Cleveland Orchestra. And of course, I'm responsible for our guest conductors and guest artists. So at a very high level, oh, and our choruses, we have, we have four, four different choruses. So at a, at a high level, that, that's what I do every day. Now, uh, I do all of that from uh, my home, which we're in now. So, and how does, that work so um, both kind of pre in terms of you know are you pretty much constantly um, in touch with others in the organization um, and how does that work in terms of kind of decision making both pre and post pandemic um, but how does kind of decision making work can you do you just kind of make certain artistic determinations or are you in touch with people how does that functioning happen I would imagine it, it works a bit differently in every organization. The Cleveland Orchestra is fortunately very much an art-led organization. So of course I work very closely with the music director and I have found in our institution that if the artistic leadership is for an idea, uh, wants to create a project, that I would say 95% of the time we find a way to make it happen. That's not to say that, that the music director is an autocrat or, or, or I am either. Uh, there's, there's really a lot of buy-in, of course, but 
But I would say that the decision-making in our institution certainly starts from the artistic outcome. In this COVID time, uh, I have to say it's been, it's been very hard because of course we are all reinventing the way that we do business. And we are, I at least never cease to be surprised at how much I relied on the connection of seeing people, of being able to walk over to someone's office and in you know, three minutes solve a problem that now requires getting a Zoom meeting or a phone call, but you don't know if they're available and you can't reach their assistant. And it, all, all of these complications that have, um, that have arisen because of the, 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 the distance. So I would say that in this time, the speed of business is certainly slower, but we're doing our best to make sure that the quality of our, of our product doesn't uh, degrade. And what's your sense of kind of the future? At some point, hopefully knocking on wood, right, we will have a vaccine. We will somehow be past, at least in the acute phase of the pandemic, and, and things will return back to what people seem to refer to as a new normal. In that kind of new normal, has anything kind of arisen that for you, you're like, you know what, we may actually keep this. We may not just return to everything that we did pre-pandemic, some of these things actually help us work better. It, has anything like that arisen? And if so, can you kind of share any of those areas? Yes, there, I think you hit on something really important. I think we have to own all of our experiences and to take this moment with COVID as horrible as it is and think of it as something that we will simply conquer and go back to our regular life, I think is, um, I think it's a bit facile. And I think it, it doesn't give us the opportunity as an industry to really learn something and grow um, on, on just an everyday business uh, level. I rather enjoy that, uh, while, while they can be exhausting, I rather enjoy that video calls have become the norm. Um, we're, we're an international organization, so I'm constantly working with presenters in Europe and the Middle East and Asia, many of whom I have to get on a plane to actually see. So I've had relationships with people for years and I have no idea what they look like because in some way it always would seem strange to say, well, let's have a, have a Skype call, right? Whereas now it feels very normal and we, we, we build relationships, we, we, we assemble knowledge in so many ways with our ears, with our eyes. And so just being able to see people, I think, that, I think that's not going to change. I think that will become part of the norm. Right. For a classical organization, our need to utilize technology in some way uh, as we go back to playing. I mean, I think there will certainly be for us a time when we cannot have the full orchestra or we cannot have the full audience back. And so we will have to augment whatever we're doing with technology in some way. And I hope that the strides that we will make in that area will not go away after, after COVID is, is hopefully solved by, by a vaccine. As audiences age and, and of course this, process the, the 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 this pandemic i think has helped a lot of for example older people who were probably not very technologically savvy become so because they need to to stay connected so now we've bridged this gap right that that we had an audience that we probably all thought well they're not going to connect with us via technology well now they have the means and they have the skill and so 
I think there's probably a segment of our audience who uh, probably faded away from us at some point because they just couldn't come to the concert halls. And my hope will be that, that with this new technological um, uh, arm of what we do, that we'll be able to continue to connect with those, with those audience members. So I think uh, COVID is, is going to change everything. Uh, finances, for example, I imagine in the future that orchestras will tour less. I don't think that there will be the money. I think that only a very few high level orchestras will be able to make it work financially because the market will probably will probably dry up. There, there will be lots of changes. So, uh, you know, you are in all intents and purposes, a C-suite black man in American orchestral leadership. Uh, and in some ways, you know, I kind of want to just ask, you know, what has that felt like? What challenges have you faced uh, or dealt with? Um, and, um, but as you think about that, the reason why I'm asking is because there are definitely viewers of ours who are younger, who are emerging leaders of color and who may face different challenges and wonder what uh, did you, are they alone? Or has someone else faced them? And if so, how did they try and tackle them? So I know it's kind of a little wide open, but curious what your experiences have been. I believe that in 2013, when I started at the Cleveland Orchestra as the director of artistic planning, I think I was the first black man to hold a senior artistic leadership position in a major American orchestra. And I derive no joy from that. Um, I'm, I'm certainly happy and uh, content with, with my accomplishments. I, I just never expected that I would be the first of anything, and I never wanted to be the first of anything. And I think it's, it's it is proof that we have so much work to do in this industry. Um, I'm not any smarter or more talented than anyone else, but somehow uh, the, this opportunity came to me. And so, um, so here I am. And it's, it's, of course, it's been hard. I mean, I, I think one of the things that we are finally starting to see as a country is that racism is rampant. It is everywhere. It's built into our systems. And so I have certainly experienced it in my work in classical music. But it's never detracted me from wanting to focus on supporting, creating art at the very highest level. I think for, for people who are, who, are, who are coming up and who are thinking about this, my, my great hope is that, that things will start to change now, right? We're, we're finally having the conversation at a high enough level with important enough people I think maybe something can change. And I think companies and arts organizations and otherwise are starting to see that they need people who look like you and who look like me at the table because we do have, like not only are we accomplished educated professionals, of course, but we have a perspective that they don't have that they need. And so if they're going to really make change, they need to have the right voices around the table. And it's not just not just that senior staff table, it's the board, it's in the boardroom, it's on stage, it's, you know, in uh, the various uh, committees that, that 
work with the community and so forth. Absolutely. And is there a sense, you know, um, you know, this work is not easy and you of course have worked extraordinarily hard. Um, so you clearly have a passion uh, for this. You know, I know you're, you know, a horn player and you came up, but I'm curious, what, what, what was the instigation for your passion in our field? It, it was really a combination of my family and education. So my, my family, knows nothing about, well, they know a lot about classical music now, but they certainly didn't when I was, when I was a child, but my, my parents loved R&B and reggae and jazz. And so there was always music in my house. And while my parents are not musicians, uh, clearly they, they love music. And so I think it started in, in one way there. Uh, the other place was, was in my education. I went to public school and I grew up in Cincinnati and I'm, I'm just old enough that um, at any public school in fourth grade, they gave you a form and you could uh, uh, choose an instrument. And I chose the clarinet, probably unwisely. I wasn't very good at it. But it, it opened me up to the, the whole new world. I remember coming home with that, you know, must have been a plastic clarinet. And I think I played that thing for hours the first day. I didn't even know what I was doing, you know, but I, I, I became sort of obsessed with it. And so that started me on a journey of playing. And I think the moment where I transitioned from just loving playing an instrument to stepping into the larger world of classical music was the Live from Lincoln Center broadcast of La Traviata. And I, I was, I must have been 13 and I was channel surfing one night and I was mesmerized. I mean, I, I didn't know what an opera was. I, I mean, I didn't know the basic that it was storytelling through singing and with music. And to sort of encounter this art form uh, was just extraordinary. And of course, because I didn't know what opera was, I didn't know any of the operatic tropes, you know, that, you know, for example, everyone dies at the end. So I'll never forget sitting there and it was so sad, you know, Violetta's dying. And then finally Alfredo comes back and you hear the love music. And I thought, oh, great. <laughs> of course, a few minutes later, I realized there would not be a happy ending. But that was a moment that, that I will I'll never forget. Oh, that's awesome. And you're capturing so much that joy that we share in our, in our field. Um, so unfortunately, we're just about out of time, but uh, but before we go, I just was wondering if, you know, is, you know, we have, you know, issues relating to race that we're facing, the pandemic. Um, as you think about those who are watching the show, either as administrators or artistic practitioners, is there any kind of key theme you would want to leave them with is to keep this in mind as you're thinking about the things you want to accomplish, the goals you want to achieve? Is there something that really helps you to achieve those things in, uh, in your career, in your own career? This is a moment for us all to step back and think about why we do what we do. There's so much need right now. So why arts? Why should we be spending our time on this? Why should our donors be giving, um, giving their hard-earned uh, funds to us? And I believe the reason we're doing that is because what we do inspires empathy in people. And I think on so many levels, it is clear that empathy is in dangerously low supply in this country. 
and therefore we're not we're not feeding people. And of course, all of those organizations who do feed and clothe and shelter people need funds. But what we do, what we do matters. And 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 if we are to work to build empathy in our fellow man, then or person rather, I think we have to be very much focused on serving those people. And so I think as we go forward, we have to really be focused on who are we serving? Who in our community are we serving? Who are we not serving that we should be serving? And are we serving them in the very best way with the art that we do? Mark Williams, you truly are one of the great arts engines in our field who is powering human creativity. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you, it's been great to be here. Thank you.